When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. You can go to 630Chad.com, globalnews.ca to read about the life and legacy of Joey Moss. Head to the podcasts for Oilers Now and Inside Sports. Bob and I with uh, a lot of interviews over the last few days remembering uh, Joey. What an, what, an, uh, what an awesome, awesome night. We got Ken texting in. Uh, he says, uh, read to those defending Rays manager Kevin Cash and his adherence to their analytics plan. Jamie Campbell just pointed out that they ignored the most glaring analytic on the reliever coming in he had a terrible postseason and a terrible era analytics is a tool and like most good tools it needs to adapt to the situation cash should have deferred to his instincts yesterday and let the cy young winner pitch not pull him out because the math says so regards ken that is from ken yeah totally understand what you're saying ken i think um yeah, everything's a tool, right? You got to use the right tool in the right situation. You got to know uh, you got to know when you follow the map and when you can take a shortcut or go the long way around. And uh, you know, it was it wasn't iffy. If if it's fifty fifty with your gut, maybe you go with the analytics. But but the way uh, Snell was pitching, I would have leaned towards keeping him in there for sure. You can always reach out seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Pleased to welcome back to the show the president of the BC Lions and, of course, former president and CEO with the Edmonton football team, Rick Lillisher. Check it in tonight. Rick, uh, you know, just to let everybody know, we we had you scheduled for Monday to talk about David Braley and then, uh, you know, the news that Joey passing away broke. So thanks for being flexible and rescheduling. But I, I do want to start there with Joey because you would have known him as well. Big part of the big part of the double E. You must have a lot of fond memories about Joey. Yeah, I sure do, Reed. That's, uh, I told someone the other day, I think I might know more stories about Joey than I did about David Braley. The, uh, he, he was around through all of the time I was there, and uh, he was just a great guy. He was fun in the locker room. He was fun with the players, and uh, he was just a great asset to have in the club. Did he interact with, uh, with you a lot, or did he uh, mostly stick with the players and the coaches? I'm wondering about that. Oh no! Everybody was open to to uh, with Joey if you came near the locker room. He, uh, I never got in the way of his vacuuming, and every time uh, I walked down there, it was always Joey saying, "Hey, you're looking good." Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, we're we're gonna miss him, and such a. I mean, it's just it's just such a positive story. Even though even though we're all gonna miss him, that Joey was a, a part of those teams. He eventually transcended sports. And Rick, let's face it, who has the same job for almost forty years like he does with the Oilers? No one does that anymore. No, exactly. And I, I think I, I know Wayne brought him in uh, to the Oilers, and then then brought him over to the Eskimos, but. You know, Dwayne Mandrusiak and Sparky with the Oilers originally, they, they have to take a lot of credit for what they did with working with Joey and, 
and committing to them. And uh, I know Dwayne spent an awful lot of hours uh, with them. And Joy used to stay at Dwayne's house during training camps, and they'd only allow him to have one beer when they were done training camp so he could get to bed and get back up the next morning. So uh, both Sparky and Dwayne, they just did a great job with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Rick Lillisher joining us tonight on Inside Sports. And, of course, David Braley passed away as well. I really uh, – I, I don't think I'm overstating it by, by calling him a gigantic figure in the in the Canadian Football League, uh, ownership with Hamilton, B.C., and and Toronto. And um, tell, tell us a little bit about David, maybe uh, maybe behind the scenes when he wasn't in, in public or, or representing the organization publicly. What was he like to work with? Well, he had a, a, he had an unbelievable mind for memory and for finances. Uh, I, I never have to send him a, a financial statement because he knew in his mind what they were to be. Um, but he was just incredible that way. But the number one thing he did, he had an absolute passion for uh, the Canadian Football League. And, of course, he loved the Lions over the last 27 years. But uh, he loved the CFL just as much. And... I was actually talking to Hugh Campbell today, and we were trading back stories about our time with David when we were at the Eskimos. And uh, we got along with him very well at the Board of Governors, and uh, he had his opinions, and uh, uh, he would let the opinion of, of what he thought was out. But at the end of the day, he'd go. If it, the majority wanted to go a different route, he'd go it. And, but uh, lots of times we saw when he had an opinion and we went a different way, he was right in the first place. So um, for me, working with him, he's, that's why I came out here. I think I knew David well enough to know what uh, how he was. And, and uh, uh, he, he was just an excellent one to work for. How would you, and, and maybe a, a tough question to summarize, but how would you summarize why he he believed in the CFL and why it was important to Canadians. Because let's face it, Rick, we're in a bit of a time where uh, it's unfortunate the league's not having a season, and when they are playing, they're they're fighting for fans to you know to to keep interested in in the in the league in some parts of the country. What 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 kept David going with the league? What did he uh, believe the league really meant to the country? Well, first of all, he was a football player in high school, and and I think he tried out once for the Tiger Cats and. He loved the game, and the uh, he's he was a, a unbelievable, passionate Canadian also, and uh, he just really believed that this is truly a Canadian game, uh, played only in Canada, and that it was uh, well worth fighting for, and not only for him fighting for, he invested in it pretty significantly, as you know, Reed, uh over the years, and uh, he just had a passion for it. Yeah, I, I mean it's 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 amazing just how long he was involved in the league and what an important figure um, he, he was. I mean, you mentioned some of those boards of governors meetings. Was he sort of uh, looked up to? Maybe when you had a new owner come in or, or new people come to the meeting, I imagine. I, I know you said, hey, if he didn't get his way, he would go along with it. But but I imagine he was a voice that was heard on pretty much every every topic. Oh, absolutely. He he would have his opinion and. Uh, he had a lot of history and a lot of knowledge of, of running uh, CFL franchises. So I think any of the new owners that came in certainly uh, listened to him over time. And 
uh, you know, even since I came out here and working with him, I, I've learned a number of things from him. And um, he would he would always say what he felt, and then he'd say, "But uh, you go ahead and do what you think is right." And uh, but he just knew the business very well, also. Yeah, yeah, an incredible contribution to to the league. I, I, I was sorry to see him go, and, and certainly he's synonymous with the uh, with the Canadian Football League. And like I was saying with with Joey, and I think the same for Mr. Braley. It's too bad we can't uh, you know gather right now and and share more of those stories uh, uh, in person. What is there any is there any moment, uh, whether a lighter moment or a serious moment, that you're really going to remember about David, or a story you've been sharing a lot over the last few days, Rick? Yeah, um, well, first of all, between, uh, I was telling somebody the other day that it, it shows the breadth of the Canadian Football League, where in, in the same day we lose an owner and a locker room attendant, and they're both icons in the uh, Canadian Football League. It's just It just shows the breadth of, of the CFL. But, um, David, the, uh, um, yeah, no, we had a, we had a lot of good time. One time, I've never told anybody this, but I'll tell you now. I tell, we had, were having dinner with him out here, and the, it was sort of we were going through some ups and downs with Eric Tillman at the time. So I tried to trade Eric to David as a general manager for BC, but he put in a bid on it, but he, it didn't work. So uh, the uh, we had fun. We had dinner usually every time we were out here, and... and uh, he was always a great cup and had some. Uh, uh, the, he, he was actually he was a fun guy to be around and and uh, well, some people thought he was pretty gruff. I, I just always said he had the the uh, roar of a lion and the heart of gold. And if you've ever been in Hamilton, um, you know just drive that community and there's the David Braley. Uh, Recreation Center at McMaster University. There's the David Braley Research in in medicine at the the, uh, General Hospital, and uh, he's given millions to that community. And uh, I would suspect coming out of his estate, there'll probably be more to come. Well, that's well said. That's a great story, and you would have made history if you would have traded a general manager. I don't know if that's ever been done before. Good for you for trying, Rick. <laughs> you got to try sometimes. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on. Thanks for remembering David Braley and, and Joey Moss. You, you said it well, two absolute icons uh, in the Canadian Football League and, and in Canadian sports. I hope you're doing well, sir. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Rick. Bye now. That is Rick Lillisher checking in tonight, president of the BC Lions. Of course, he used to have that same role here in Edmonton. Uh, well, he try he he dangled that he tried to trade Eric Tillman as a general manager to the BC Lions. I would have loved to see how that transaction would have broken down. But yeah, David Braley, just just a giant in the CFL, and uh, I love how Rick put that: uh, the roar of a lion, but a heart of gold for sure. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. If you would like to reach out tonight by calling or texting, don't forget. We have Baseball Hall of Famer, 1993 World Series champion with the Blue Jays, Paul Molitor, coming up after the 7.30 News.
Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. Hope you're having a great day. In about uh, 13 or 14 minutes, we're going to have Paul Molitor on the show. Awesome to uh, to talk to Paul, who, of course, is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, played for Milwaukee, played for the Blue Jays, played for Minnesota, later uh, managed the Minnesota Twins. Full disclosure, Paul's a busy guy. He is a Baseball Hall of Famer. We actually uh, recorded the interview uh, yesterday morning, so I, I, know, I, I already know it's good, and I already know he... Uh, really love playing in Toronto and has really cool things to say about the Blue Jays and about the 1993 World Series and about being on first base when Joe Carter hit the home run. So that's Paul Molitor coming up between 7.30 and 8. Uh, George says, hi, Reed. Nice to hear Rick Lullisher on the show. It was awesome to hear him pay tribute to both Joey Moss and David Braley. I hope there are multiple Joey Moss celebrations whenever we are allowed to gather again. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really cool way to put it. Of course, Jamie Campbell was on the show a little bit earlier, too, talking about uh, the World Series last night. Justin Turner and the Tampa Bay Rays uh, much. I mean, here's the thing. They, they did what they had done all season. So they had a book, they had a plan, and they went by it. So it, it's that age-old situation with sports, right? It, like the, the, the Seahawks in the Super Bowl where they lost to the um, Patriots, you know, got criticized for that decision late in the game. They didn't hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. Though oddly enough, they often threw the ball in that situation, and they chose to do that. So when do you go with, uh, when do you go with your gut, and when do you say, we're doing this, uh, we're, we've been doing this all year, so we are going to do it no matter what. I don't know. Like, let's, let's, let's say the Oilers were losing a game late in the third period and they got a power play. And uh, let's pick a depth guy on the team. Jujar Kara had, had already had a hat trick in that game. And they're down a goal and the Oilers got a power play. Would you take, um, you know, Brian Nugent Hopkins off the power play to put Jujar on because you got a gut feeling about him? Well, no, you'd probably keep going with that power play. But in that situation for Tampa last night, Snell, the pitcher, was uh, was absolutely dominant and didn't look like he needed to come out, and that's why it's being discussed. It's kind of a fun topic to delve into. Hey, uh, I want to welcome back to the show former Edmonton Oil King, now a member of the Dallas Stars, has a new contract there, defenseman Mark Pesic. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you doing? Doing well. It's nice to catch up with you. Uh, before we dive into the, the contract and uh, the, the new adventure for you, let everybody know uh, what you're up to. Have been able to spend some time back here in the Edmonton area. Yeah, we've been back, uh, you know, since the end of the bubble and uh, just enjoying some some different weather than we've than we're used to the last four or five years. So uh, it's it's getting really cold now, but uh, it's nice to you know be here for Thanksgiving, even though it's a little bit different. But uh, yeah, a little bit more family time, which is definitely been nice well good for you for having some uh, some family time that, that that's nice to hear you, you signed a, a new contract with the dallas stars uh so change in teams tell us a little bit about how, how it came together with the stars uh yeah it was um the free agency day it was i wasn't really holding my breath for anything um i didn't know how long it was going to take obviously with the covid and and the year i had last year was a little bit different so uh i wasn't really sure going in but uh throughout the day my agent talked uh, kept called me a few times. There was different teams interested, and um, and then finally, uh, Dallas they wanted to talk. And you know, a couple hours later, I was at dinner, and uh, my agent called me and said they they offered us something, and I think we should move on that. And 
uh, we were pretty excited about that, that we didn't have to wait too long and uh, we're going to a great team and uh, it helps that it's uh, nice and warm weather there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to hear. Well, and the Stars obviously on, a, you know, coming off an incredible playoff run here and quite a defense score that you're joining with some of those young guys, Haskin and Klingberg, Lindell. That's a pretty exciting group to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, looking at the talent they have on the back end there um, and, and even watching. I didn't watch too much of the playoffs, but once it got down to the final, I started uh, paying a little more attention. And, and the way they play is so exciting. And, uh, you know, all those guys can skate really well and move the puck really well. It seems like a real uh, a fun system to be a part of. Dare I ask if uh, a gentleman by the name of Derek Laxtall played a role in, in yeah. recruiting you for this, or did he did he stay out of the way here? <laughs> uh, I think he probably stayed out of the way, but uh, after I did sign, he gave me a call, and that was, uh, you know, it was good to catch up a little bit, and he just uh, gave me a little bit of a an insight to what the team was like, and, and he had absolutely nothing but good things to say about the team and the organization, and uh, so obviously I was excited before talking to him, but that's, uh, that's nice to have that familiar face. I, I know this has come up, uh, in our talks over the past year and, and was kind of part of the storyline for you over the last year. So I kind of hate to do it to you again, but did Dallas say, uh, if they're going to play you at forward at all, or do you think you're back to be yeah. a full-time defenseman? <laughs> well, that was one of the big things my agent and I obviously talked about. And, and we, at the end of the day, decided that it'd probably be, uh, best for me and, uh, what I prefer playing is defense, and uh, I was talking with uh, the GM of Dallas, and uh, he reiterated that I would be playing defense, so that's uh, that's where I'm at right now, and um, so hopefully defense win the whole year. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Hope hope they stick with that, Mark. Thanks for checking in tonight. That is Mark Pesic, now defenseman with the Dallas Stars. Started his NHL career with Buffalo after playing for the Oil Kings Florida the last few seasons. Kind of a weird year for him. Did get used at, at forward a few times. Even had a hat trick in a road game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's moving on to play for Dallas. Good to catch up with him, absolutely. All right. It's going to be fun between 7.30 and 8, starting after the 7.30 news. Paul Molitor on the show. Great major leaguer, Hall of Fame, outstanding hitter. We're going to talk about the 93 World Series with the Jays. We're going to talk about fitting in on that team that had won a championship the year before. We're going to talk about what he said to John Olerud going into the 1993 season, and he'll tell you what he's up to now. That's next, Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. pitch on the way, a swing and a belt, left field, way back, Blue Jays win it, the Blue Jays are World Series champions, as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions, touch a ball, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Well, there's the magic moment. 27 years ago, October 23rd, 1993, the Blue Jays up three games to two in the World Series, trailing in the bottom of the ninth, trailing 6-5 against the Philadelphia Phillies. They uh, get a couple of guys on base, and Joe Carter hits the home run that wins it all. And one of the guys that was on base, 
who finished second in MVP voting that year. He was in the top 10 in MVP votes multiple times. Second rookie of the year in 1978. Uh, made another playoff appearance, a couple of playoff appearances earlier in his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, used to manage the Minnesota Twins. Yes, he is a legend. He is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Paul Molitor joins us on Inside Sports. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. <clears throat> I'm up here in Minnesota and, uh, you know, just kind of... Uh, trying to survive like everybody in these challenging times. I've uh, been enjoying watching a little postseason baseball, although it's been a little bit strange given all the circumstances that MLB has had to face this year. But I appreciate you asking. Things are good for me. Well, I, let's let's do a quick one on, on the current World Series. Um, it, it's been interesting to watch. Obviously, a pretty exciting finish the other night. But, man, some things are a lot different, Paul. The, the opener, you know, you got a pitcher who's a reliever starting the game. I think there's a, a lot more analytics every year in the league. What, is, sure. what are your thoughts on how the game is managed and played these days? Well, you know, I, I don't want to take up our full 15 minutes with one answer. But... Uh, <laughs> Think things have changed uh, exponentially over the past, you know, 10 years in particular, and even, you know, going back further than that. I, I you know, I, I was in a managerial position not that long ago. And so, uh, you know, I learned a, a lot about the new wave of information and certainly think a lot of it has its place and relevance in terms of how they play and decisions made by managers. But I also think we have to be a little bit careful by taking that too far in that, you know, we're, we're not running com computerized robots out on another field. These are human beings and people, and they're all wired a little bit differently. And, and I think we've gone a little bit too far, too fast. And I, I think eventually we're going to learn to strike a little bit better balance. Paul, look, I'm going to dive in because I know people hear your name and uh, there's a couple questions they, they want me to ask for sure. So I, I'm going to ask uh, one of them right now. 1993, Joe Carter, uh, I believe you'd single to reach base. Uh, you're mm -hmm. on first base representing the winning run in that game and, and Joe goes deep. Can you just take everybody sure. back to, to that inning, that moment, that feeling? Well, I'll tell you that it's a pleasure to go down memory lane as far as my time with the Jays and in particular having a chance to win that World Series. I guess the thing that is, is hardest for me to grasp is that it's been so long ago now. I mean, time just has a way of moving from year to year and season to season. But, you know, um, for me to transition up to Toronto and uh, be very welcomed by, you know, the city and its fans, really not only just in Toronto and Ontario, but across the country. And then to have it kind of unfold the way it did with the Jays defending their championship for the year before. And then that particular moment, um, you know, we, we fell behind after an early lead in game six and we just stayed with it. Um, you know, I was able to get a hit off Mitch Williams, which had followed a, Ricky Henderson walk and, you know, Joe created one of the most magical moments in baseball history with, with a clinching, not only game clinching, but series clinching home run. And, you know, to be a part of that celebration, um, it was just my most memorable time in the game. I, I was fortunate to do a lot of things and play a long time, but that easily stands out as, as my most treasured moment uh, with a baseball uniform on.
that that home run by Joe, it, it was a bit of a line drive, and, and you're on first. Um, were, were you ever thinking, okay, this is going to hit the wall, and I'm going to have to score all the way from first here to win the game? I know it happened pretty fast, but yeah, well, I I think that's a really good point for uh, you know reference, and as far as my recollection, you know, I, I remember getting to first base and. John Cruck was playing over there and it was just so intense and the crowd was so loud. And I just remember telling John, I said, man, this is awesome. And, and, you know, they had Mitch Williams on the mound and, and John wasn't, wasn't too uh, quickly to agree with me. I don't think he was enjoying that moment so much. Maybe he had a foreshadowing of what might happen, but you're right. Joe hit the ball and it was kind of a flat footed swing and, you know, he had a couple of strikes on him, so he was kind of protecting, but he certainly barreled up the ball, and it didn't get very high. And I, I take off running, and like you said, I, I know that if the ball hits the wall or caroms off, you know, I, I was going to be the winning run. So I, I was in full sprint mode and was probably just making my turn around second base when I realized that the ball had cleared the wall. I, I didn't track it fully from bat to its landing spot, but I did watch the left fielder, who I believe was Pete Incavilia. I saw his shoulders slump, and, and then I realized that the ball had cleared the fence. And and then I have I probably had about the best 180-foot jog of my life, you know, getting to the celebration at home plate. You mentioned the Blue Jays had won the year before, and you'd been with Milwaukee where you'd already had an incredible career. You guys had been to the playoffs a couple of times early in your right. career. What was it like joining the Blue Jays, joining a championship team? I mean, obviously they were adding a great player, but was it was it hard to fit in? Tell me about that transition. You know, um, having played uh a, a long time i mean 15 years in one franchise at the major league level is it's just not the norm you're it's something that you're grateful for and you get to a certain point where you feel like you might have a chance to be one of those rare players who plays a long time and never has to change uniforms but after the 92 season um we were kind of in the at the apex of the whole large market small market problems that the game was facing <clears throat> and it became apparent to me that in all likelihood that I wasn't going to be able to <clears throat> finish my career as a brewer. And, uh, you know, one of the first teams that come calling were the Blue Jays. And, you know, naturally for me, if I was going to have to consider leaving, you're going to look for an opportunity to hopefully have a chance to win. And <clears throat> not only have the Blue Jays won in 92, but when you send in people like Paul Beeston and Pat Gillick um, to try to, to sell the deal, it, it just became apparently clear to me rather quickly that that was going to be a tremendous fit for me and a tremendous opportunity. So tough to leave a city that you played for for that long and, and never, you know, saw into fruition your desire to be a world champion as a member of that Brewer franchise. But I knew that Toronto was going to be a, a, a great fit for me. And, and thankfully it worked out. Um, I couldn't have even imagined my very first year of leaving having the opportunity, but that's the way things played out. There's so much I could ask you about that season. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw you you one more. And and I remember that summer because I, I watched a lot of Blue Jays games that summer, and you guys were such a popular team. But um, I I want to ask you about John Olerud. I mean, so, so much about Alomar and Carter's home run and, and well deserved. But Olerud hit 363, and I think into early August he was still flirting with uh, with 400. And I believe sure. he was only 24 at the time. I mean. Well, how come he was so good? What do you remember about Olerud? Yeah, you know, we had a lot of special players, and, and you know, John was still relatively 
early on as far as his, as his career. And, uh, you know, he just had that knack. He had, he had the beautiful left-handed swing, tremendous patience. He knew the strike zone. Um, he just had a way of, of, of hitting the ball solidly um, at an extremely high rate. You know, my, my old story goes and was that that's my first spring training, you know, and getting to know the guys. I, I had asked John about if he ever thought that he could win a batting title. And he kind of gave me a funny, puzzled look. And he, I think his response was along the lines of, you know, I'm big and I'm slow and this and that and all the reasons that he didn't think it could happen. And I, I just was having a conversation. I said, you know, John, I've been watching you the last couple of years, man. I said, you know, you, the, the line drive percentage that you have, your, your lack of chase pitches out of the zone. I said, there's no question you can win a batting title. And lo and behold, you know, he's hitting 400 in August. He ends up hitting 363. And I, and I remember at, after the season and, and he had that, that batting crown, I, I said, if I knew I was going to finish second, I would have waited one more year to have that talk. But uh, <laughs> so he, uh, he had an incredible season, as did so many guys that year. And um, one of the best teammates you could ever ask for. You know, John's in, uh, he's a Northwest uh, State guy you know up there in was in washington seattle area and um you know just a tremendous demeanor tremendous person and i really enjoyed my time of having a chance to play play with him paul molitor joining us tonight at inside sports it's interesting how you tell that story about olerud and it kind of leads me into something else i wanted to ask you and i'm wondering whether it's someone who's already in the major leagues or maybe it's something you went through early in your career or maybe you're, uh, you know, a, a young kid, a boy or a girl taking up baseball or any other yeah. sport. Is that is that part of the journey or maybe a mental roadblock where sometimes people have to accept how good they can be? I know that maybe sounds like it should be so hard to su- accept, but clearly older had to, had to deal with yeah. it. Is that an important message? Yeah, and, and I'll say it wasn't that John didn't expect to be successful. I just think that was maybe some boundary or that he had maybe had put limitations on himself on and and we all know um what kind of a hitter he was but i i think just generally kids that love to participate in sports um you know we all learn the lessons of life through sport there's just so many parallels that uh go from from the games and the participation to what our life actually transcend into being from, you know, goal setting and cooperation and team play and overcoming an adversary. I mean, the list, the list goes on and on, but I think as far as the mental toughness part of the sport, um, you know, we all are going to face times where we feel that we're not very good at what we're trying to do. And somehow, some way, I, I think you have to be able to overcome that to, to end up reaching the level of success, whether it's as a, you know, a young athlete or a high school athlete, a collegiate athlete, and for the guys who are fortunate enough to see professional playing time, you're always battling that. You know, I remember as a young player and having a couple of good years as a young player, but, you know, you go home in the winter and over the course of those four months, you know, that doubt would start to creep in. And somehow you had to go back to spring training and, and prepare yourself to say, yes, I, I can do this again. And, and sometimes maybe even having that that little bit of doubt can can even fuel your work ethic and, and how you go about trying to accomplish your goals. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big part of sport. I think we all learn it. I think once we figure it out a little bit as veterans and older players, you learn to try to pass on some of those things to the younger guys. 
Paul, just a couple more for you. These are kind of standard ones that I, I ask a lot of ex-players. Sometimes they uh, they stump people. Sometimes there's an answer right away. So I'm curious to see uh, where you're going to go here. Okay. Any, any current major league player that reminds you of yourself? Oh, man. I, uh, that one does stump me a little bit. Um, and primarily because there's just not a lot of emphasis on ball players that, you know, spray the ball around, take pride in not striking out, try to be really efficient at running the bases and contributing defensively. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm having a little, little trouble figuring that one. Um, but yeah, through the years, there's been guys that have reminded me of similar games, but in today's game, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit drawn a blank. I, you remember Michael Young from Texas? Yep. He retired a few years back, but he was one guy that played quite a, bit of time after I had retired and I, I really thought his game kind of uh, fit fit that mode and anybody who's still out there you know hitting for high average and still managing to maintain some level of power are, are probably guys that fit that okay and here's the real fun one and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm looking forward to this answer because if you factor in the postseason you played over 2700 games in the major leagues who's the best player you ever played with and who's the best player you ever played against yeah, that, those are good questions, and uh, it's really hard to pick one best teammate. Um, you know, I kind of break it into chapters of my of my playing. I, I've, I played for three franchises, and there's no question that my time in Milwaukee, um, Robin Yount was far superior to any other teammate I had. He was a guy who won a couple of MVPs um, at different positions. He played shortstop at a very high level in center field as well. And then I went to Toronto, and we had so many good players. But, you know, Roberto Alomar was a guy that could just beat you in so many ways. We all know his defensive prowess and his instincts as a base runner, his clutch hitting ability. Uh, so he, he stands out for me during my tenure as a Blue Jay. And then I came back to Minnesota and had a chance to briefly play with Kirby Puckett. And um, he was a guy that elevated everybody around him he's got a couple of he he had a couple of rings and so those three guys probably stick out as teammates i i think players i've played against um you know there, there's a lot of really good players that were complete players uh you know ripkin was one of those guys i, I thought don madeline was one of those guys you know barry bonds obviously was the most dominant player in his league for a long time but they're fortunate to play against a lot of really really good players and also pair up with them as teammates so you know those those provide some really good memories paul uh awesome to talk to you well i, I should just quickly uh, ask you here sneak in one more just let let fans know uh, what you're up to now and i, and I hope you realize you know even here in, in western canada so many people loved watching you play and love those blue jays teams so they're happy to hear from well, you and, and let them know what you're doing I appreciate that, Reed. I'll just say that, you know, my time as, as a Jay, yet I, I never really realized before I went there that just how from coast to coast in Canada that they followed the Jays. And when we would go out to Seattle, for instance, we'd have just such a tremendous influx of people coming down from uh, the Western provinces to watch us play. And even in Minnesota, we'd have people coming down from the central provinces to watch us play. They, they just followed us around, you know, just it was so much support so you know to be remembered after you know two and a half decades or more it, it's flattering to me i appreciate it um 
yeah, I, my life now, I, I mean, I'm obviously getting up there in years. And I, I'm not currently working in the game, but still have desire to do so. I just hope that MLB can figure things going out, think, figure things out moving forward with this virus. But things are good for me. And, uh, you know, I just feel blessed. God's really, you know, laid out a great plan for my life. I'm grateful for that and, and grateful for my time in the game. It, it, it served me very well. Thanks, Paul. That is Paul Molitor, Baseball Hall of Famer, 1993 World Series champion tonight on Inside Sports. Wow, was that ever cool to talk to him? His perspective of Carter's home run, joining the Jays, telling John Olerud he should go out and win a batting title. Awesome stuff. It's Inside Sports on Chet. G checking in tonight says he enjoyed the uh, well thought out answers from Paul Molitor. That was really cool for me to have Paul Molitor on the show. He was an exceptional player. I'm sure many of you remember him playing just a, just a great hitter career batting average of 306 with the blue Jays. So he goes to the blue Jays in 93. He hits 332. Then in 94, he hits 341, didn't uh, hit quite as well. The next year, 95, hit 270, which was uh, one of the few years in his career he was uh, you know, below 300, or at least that far below 300. Hit 322 in 1979, 353 in 1987, finished fifth in the MVP voting. And he uh, hit a few home runs, too. Had a lot of years in the teens and home runs. Uh, had 22 for the Blue Jays in 1993. Great player. Definitely a great interview. Thanks, Sam G, for that uh, awesome word that he could check in. Tony, uh, sorry, Troy. Troy says, Reed, I remember that epic game where Carter hit the home run. I was in a loud country bar, and they shut down the band so the patrons could watch the end of the game. Epic. Great interview. Brought back some memories. Uh, Troy, first of all, that, that is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And Troy, uh, <laughs> Troy, take another. Yes, you just texted. Thank you, Troy. You got what I'm talking about. So I, I know private jokes don't always work well on the radio, but Troy uh, picked up. He, he he made an interesting typo that, that I almost could have said something I shouldn't say on the radio. He just caught the text back. I love that, Troy, but I appreciate that you tuned in. Hey, thanks to everybody for tuning in. You know, it's been a, it's been a tough few days. It's been an emotional few days. With, uh, with Joey Moss, we talked a bit about him uh, more tonight. Sam Gagne with that great story about about wrestling with uh, with Joey Moss. Rick Lola sure had some memories and also looked back on the life of David Braley, owner of the BC Lions, who uh, passed away on Monday. You also heard from Jamie Campbell, Paul Molitor, Mark Pesek. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. Studio producer is Callum Kennedy. Tomorrow, the original host of Inside Sports will join us, Sid Smith who's uh, now the boss at 6.30, Chad, but he's retiring on Friday. So we're going to do a full hour with Sid tomorrow, and uh, it'll be fun. We haven't planned anything. We're just going to come on and talk, and I think it'll be great. Appreciate you tuning in. My name is Reed. Have a great night. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30, Chad.